0: You are listening to Another Tale from the Mage's Den. The podcast for the Common Tongue magazine. Ash by Liam Hogan. Narrated by Carl Walmsley. I stand in line cursing the fools who place me in the second row. The ladies' courtiers arranged us not by our skills or by our reputations, but by how shiny our armour was. Shifting my weight from side to side, I ease the press of the ill-fitting suit. My skills I am confident of, even if my reputation and my armour are borrowed. The rightful owner left in a drunken stupor at the travelling inn where we broke our journey if the courtiers knew than a mere squire. But what does it matter? I had not expected so many knights to attend this cloud-shrouded keep, this dark tower looming above the ruins of a fire-blackened castle. I had not expected to find myself so neglected. If my impetuous gamble is not to pay off, at least I will not suffer its forfeit. The metal-studded doors of the great hall swing open, and a pair of giant wolfhounds bound through. I tighten my grip on the pommel of my master's sword, but monstrous though these beasts are, they are surely not the creature we have been summoned to battle. They bowl enthusiastically around the room. One sniffs at the knight in front of me. I hear the unmistakable sound as a heavy stream of hot liquid splashes against brightly polished metal. I thank the Lord that here at least is one knight having a worse time of it than I. Rufus Oswald. Names are softly called, with only a hint of admonishment. But the hounds snap to attention and stroll with languid ease over to the fireplace, where they lay one to each side bathed in the flickering light, their great shaggy heads over their cross-pores, ready and watching. Craning my neck within the visor-lowered helm, I risk a glance towards the door to see the vision, shimmering green, that descends the three shallow steps into the hall. Tall and elegant, her ash-white hair hangs in long braids to the front of her dress. I stand straighter, try to suck in my stomach, though what difference that will make beneath the pot-bellied swell of my master's much-adjusted breastplate, I cannot say. Thank you, noble gentlemen, for answering my call. The sound of her voice is musical, and much deeper than I might have expected. It is a voice accustomed to command, to unquestioned obedience. I am grateful and humbled, she continues. The day is well advanced. There will be refreshments and beds for those who wish them, within a tented pavilion adjoining the keep. There is a pause as she reaches the far end of the hall. She turns and looks back at the gathered ranks. But I have need of only one gallant, and so I have the difficult task of deciding between you. She moves slowly down the first row, a dark-cloaked courtier whispering in her ear. When she inspects the pissed-on knight in front of me, I feel myself leaning forward, bewitched by her pale, luminous beauty, and I am betrayed by a creak of my armour. Her grey eyes flick my way, and I try to ease myself back, terrified that I might overbalance and fall. She lowers her gaze murmurs to the courtier and continues down the line as my heart beats out a rapid tune. At last she stands before me. The exotic smell of burnt incense lingers in the air and her eyes, cool grey flecked with glowing embers bore beneath my visor. Under her close scrutiny and despite the weighty armour I feel naked and unclean Exposed as the fraud I am, that she must know me to be. I try to stare into the empty space above her, to block out her high cheekbones, aquiline nose, and ghostly lips, but my eyes are drawn time and time again to the one sign of imperfection the lady carries. Tiny crescent scars cluster around her shoulders and neck, some healed to white slivers others still red and roar. I shiver with outrage and indignation that any one would have dared to mark her so. I long to avenge her, to protect her from such senseless cruelties. Hm she raises an eyebrow, turns to the man waiting at her shoulder. Italian? Very good, my lady, Courtier nods. A variant on the Lombardy standard A few replacement pieces, an adjustment to fit. For some other wearer, obviously. But in excellent condition, given its age and rarity. You're a long way from home, knight, the lady says, peering up and through my deception. I feel a blush that I am thankful she cannot see. Gentlemen, cries out, turning quickly to me. We have chosen our hero. Please, follow my Chancellor to the courtyard, where you will be well fed for your troubles. Not you, brave knight, she hastens to add. A gloved hand on my arm arresting my clumsy half-step forward. You and I have preparations to make. With her delicate touch, all thoughts of fame, of reward, are chased away. I desire only to serve her to risk all for a moment alone with her. Instead, I am bustled into a chamber where attendants help me with my suit of armour. I fear detection once again, but they pay me little heed. What, after all, does a knight look like once you peel him from his metal shell? I was young, true, but running around after my master and feeding from his generous scraps... I'd grown both stronger than he and a good inch taller. A hot bath awaited, and as I soak, I dream disturbing dreams of what exactly the lady wants from me. I jerk to wakefulness, sending a ripple of water down the length of the wooden tub, a memory of her sparkling eyes dancing before me, the soft warmth of her colourless lips and imagined presence. I cover my distress with my hands as a pair of silent youths grin and go to work with soaps, scrubbing brushes and unguents, until my skin is pink and no sign of my journey here remains. Dressed in simple but expensive robes, I am led via a winding staircase to a chamber, darkened by thick curtains and lit by a multitude of candles despite the last of the day's sunlight still creeping through the gaps. Shafts of brightness that hold the dust in place, motes that swirl as a door softly closes behind me. Come, sit, the lady says, from a low table surrounded by cushions and cluttered with exquisite goblets and all manner of exotic dishes. My armour, I ask, still uncertain of her intent. Not daring to believe that my base dreams might possibly come true. My sword. Your sword is being sharpened, your armour polished, she reassures me. And now, my valiant knight, you need to eat and to rest. You must be ready, sir, to fight my dragons. My borrowed armour gleams brightly. The familiar tang of freshly scraped metal mixing with a sweet-scented wax. I clutch the sword as I am led down endless stone steps. Is the tower as deep as it is tall? It is difficult to get my bearings. Too much has happened, too fast, since I sat nervously on those cushions, a scant three feet away from the lady, such a short time before. The things we discussed, her questions, her instructions, are now all a blur as though I, rather than my master, am the habitual drunkard. I try to recall why I eagerly accepted everything she said, why I asked so few questions. Creeping down a narrow passageway at the bottom of the stairwell, so little of it makes any sense. I do remember asking her one thing. In a voice made tremulous by the heat of my barely suppressed fury, I begged her to tell me of the marks around her otherwise flawless neck. The contrast made even more striking by her closeness. She glanced away, some torment twisting her lips. When she looked back, her face once again calm, she claimed that the scars were nothing. Nothing! I marvelled at her fortitude. We halt before a stout door dark oak studded with metal. A wall-mounted torch shifts the shadows that I cast, weaves them in and out of those of the solemn courtier by my side. This is as far as I can go, he says, a soot-blackened key in his hand. Are you ready? Ready? Ready for a dragon? For an honest-to-god flying lizard, all armoured scales and spitting fire? The rich food I had picked at sours in my stomach. I can hardly believe that this is not some elaborate jest. The why and how it could be, I cannot imagine. And why have I been led to this underground space? Is this the dragon's lair? in catacombs deep beneath the tower? Nor had the lady merely mentioned a dragon. I remember with a start, My dragons, she said. How many has not been specified, and I was a fool not to have asked. Why did I not ask? Was it the wine, or her beauty that stilled my tongue and dulled my wits? I recall the great hall, full of knights, vastly more experienced than I. Why have I alone been chosen to face this peril? Why not half a dozen of us? Why not all? I wonder how my master would have fared. Would he have stood here, trembling in fear and doubt? Would he have refused to pass through the heavy door? The door that clangs shut and is bolted and locked behind me, the sounds like nails being driven through the tattered remains of my courage. Slowly, my eyes adjust to the dim light, and I am surprised and then relieved to see that I am not alone after all. The ceiling is a quilt of stone arches. Columns at each corner break up the space, offering no clear line of sight. But in every alcove I see a knight, poised and battle-ready. It takes me a stunned moment to realise that it is merely the flickering light of the torches that lends them their sense of movement. The room is silent. Figures still. These are not knights ready to join my quest. They are merely empty suits of armour from every corner of the globe, not poised but posed. One in particular catches my eye. I seem to recall the same helm lying prostrate upon the muddy ground, a memory from a tourney barely half a year past. Afterwards, this knight. What had been his name? had dropped off the touring circuit, presumably in disgrace at his inability to match his empty boasts. What does it mean for his armour to be here, in this gloomy space? What could have driven him to surrender it up? Perhaps I am mistaken. But there is one sure way to tell. The mark my master's lance left, just below the breastplate, on the folds that protect the waist. I edge closer. The raised and frozen arm obscures my view. As I try to crane around it, I knock the extended knee, which gives a sharp retort, and I'm taken back in a stuttering heartbeat to that first audience with the lady and my near calamitous fall. But though the suit shifts and rocks, it does not collapse, and as my breathing eases, I thank the saints that whatever holds it in place is of sturdy construction. There is a sound, a soft whisper, and as I look down to find its source, I see a small mound by the armoured foot. I take it for sand at first, and reach out to stroke a finger through the growing pile. But it is too light, and leaves a fine white dust on my chainmail glove, It carries the smell of a cold fireplace. It is ash, pouring from a crack in the knee joint I clumsily nudged, a joint that appears to have been lightly welded. An odd thing to do to a valuable suit of armour, rendering it useless, though perhaps it explains how they managed to maintain their elaborate postures. Perhaps... The ash also helps them hold their form. I move carefully, distracted by the constant feeling that I am surrounded, that I am being watched, staring at each static figure as I pass, half expecting them to spring into life and into battle. Not as friends, but as foes. My steps clank and echo, and I curse the heavy armour. In this confined space it is more of a hindrance than an aid, and I tread carefully to avoid dislodging any more of the silent suits. I head towards the light, expecting the dungeon to open up or down, to reveal an underground cavern or a mighty sinkhole, where the dragon, no, the dragons, await. But I find nothing. No space larger than any other, and though the distant torches and myriad columns make it difficult to see the whole, I traverse the entirety of the catacombs twice, from enclosing wall to enclosing wall, just to make sure. Despite the subterranean chill, I am soon slick with sweat, and my master's sword hangs heavy in my hand. I am not used to holding it aloft for so very long. Returning once again to the solid door I entered by, contemplating the likelihood of a response right a hammer my mailed fist against it, I come to an abrupt stop. The dank air is still. Why do the torches flicker so? The air is still, and I have seen no torches. Taking a deep, steadying breath... I focus on the nearest lights and move steadily towards them. I can hear sounds now. Small chirps, high-pitched squeaks. The lights flutter in the air. They vanish behind columns and reappear moments later. What witchcraft is this? What foul enchantment? As I move towards them, they in turn move yet closer to me. In the swiftest of movements, I'm surrounded by yellow stars that swoop and dive, that swirl around the pillars, that somehow breathe. I raise an arm and the pattern responds, changes, too fast to focus on. The lights move in waves, waxing, waning. As I stand transfixed, there is a noise like pins drawn across metal from behind and beneath me, and a searing pain stabs the back of my legs, at my feet and at my shins. I half stumble and stare down. The edges of my greaves are glowing red. And as the armour fades to tarnish black, I realise with shock and horror that my lower legs won't move. Can't move. The rapidly cooling joints have seized shut. The scrabbling sound repeats on the outside of my helm and I reach up with a free hand to snap my visor down but it is too late, much too late. A glimpse of scales, an impression of a long thin tail, the slice of a sharp claw across my tender cheek. Then there is something inside my suit. I raise my sword and impotent alarm as I feel it crawl and wriggle across my back. A tight bundle of movement in the space between breastplate and breast. A burst of bright flame dazzles me. Hot pokers stab through the armour, searing through my gambeson and lancing at my arm beneath. The air is filled with the ugly stench of burning horsehair and something else besides. Something that turns my stomach to think about. Piercing whistle punctuates my torment, and when the screaming stops, my screaming, I realise, I hear soft footsteps approach. Through tears, I see a familiar green dress standing before my frozen helm. Thin lips, stretched into a tight smile, pale skin glowing red in the dancing firelight. I try to move my arm to lower the offending weapon, but it too is locked in place. I try to stand to attention, but can neither move leg nor waist. My tortured flesh burns as it brushes against the hot metal cage that imprisons me, against the densely packed jacket that still smoulders. Something wraps around my neck and squeezes tight, cutting short my whimpers. Silly boy, croaks the lady, a half-dozen winged shapes circling around and above her, all eager to finish their task. The smallest, barely larger than a kestrel, still perches on her shoulder, with sharp claws digging into the pale skin of her neck. The one contained within my stolen suit of armour chirps in reply, hot breath singeing my cheek and my ear, As my vision narrows, and I gasp for air I can no longer suck down. She shakes her head in mock pity, and then she laughs. The tinny sound echoes from the walls and from all the ash-filled suits of armour around me. Why do none of you think to ask how big my dragons are? The End